Welcome to the weekly briefing from Capital Economics. Neil and I are out this week, but here's something special. Chinese passenger car exports exceeded Japan's this past May. It was a marker of China's increasing dominance in the electric vehicle industry and another sign of Japan's struggle to make more headway, despite its early push into alternative fuel vehicles. But how secure is China's EV dominance? How big a threat are its EVs to the likes of Toyota? And what's the risk of a regulatory backlash against China's car exports? Julian Evans Pritchard, our China economics head, and Marcel Tiliant, who leads our Japan coverage, discuss the Chinese EV challenge and what it means for Japan's auto industry in this discussion that you're going to hear now. It was recorded at the end of June, just before Toyota announced a breakthrough with solid-state battery technology, which it expects to roll out in the coming years. But as this conversation makes clear, China's EV threat to Japan is a near-term reality. The conversation begins with Julian discussing how China's EV industry came to dominate. I think the, the origin story for China's EV success dates back quite a few years ago to around 2014, when the Chinese government identified EVs as a sector of strategic importance and decided that it provided an opportunity to do a number of things. First, to reduce the, the country's dependence on imported oil, but also as, a, as a, an avenue to leapfrog the existing traditional automakers, because whenever there's a major technological shift, it provides an opportunity for latecomers such as China to gain greater inroads into to existing industries. And so around that time, they started offering government incentives, both in terms of support for EV manufacturers, but in particular, supporting the demand side. That was partly done through government procurement. So for example, lo local government started purchasing e-buses in bulk, but the main tool was to incentivize consumers to choose EVs over traditional vehicles. And so there were very generous purchase incentives for, for consumers to choose EVs. They also created separate license plates for, for EVs. And in major Chinese cities, the number of license plates is limited. And so this created a further incentive for, for Chinese car buyers to choose EVs over, over traditional vehicles. And that's led to a very rapid increase in adoption in China since then. At the, at the start of that period, it was a relative laggard in terms of its EV adoption compared to, say, Europe. But since then, it, it's overtaken pretty much every other major car market globally. And recently, it reached a 30% adoption. And I think China's foresight in terms of industrial policy, particularly supporting demand for EVs, can take a lot of the, the credit for that. Okay, so we've we've recently seen a big surge in in Chinese car exports. They they've matched, maybe even overtook Japanese car exports. Do you think other countries will be able to catch up with China, or are there economies of scale in battery production, or is China's battery technology already so far ahead of everyone else that it will be difficult? Well, I think China has a clear first mover advantage because, as I just mentioned. The government supported the creation of a very large domestic industry, a domestic market for, for EVs. That's created massive economies of scale, which have supported the rapid decline in, in the cost of production domestically in China. And that's particularly true in terms of the battery supply chain. 
because batteries are obviously a, a very important part of EVs, and they are the, the economics of battery production are quite different from traditional automaking. They have much larger economies of scale involved. They're, they're more similar to heavy industry petrochemical production. And so what we see in China, and that's likely to be the case elsewhere as well, is that battery production is concentrated in a much smaller number of firms and a much smaller number of plants. And so the minimum efficient scale that you need to compete in battery production is, is much higher. And that makes it harder for, for latecomers to compete unless governments elsewhere in the world are willing to subsidize their domestic battery players for quite a long time until they can achieve a comparable level of, of cost advantage with, with the Chinese producers. It also helps that Chinese producers seem to have chosen the winning technology. So other countries initially went down the route of focusing on nickel-based batteries, whereas Chinese producers focused on lithium-ion phosphate batteries, LFP, um, because those were cheaper to produce, even though the range is, is shorter. But increasingly, it seems that that was the right decision, and, and, and they're getting, you know, th these LFP batteries are becoming the, the sort of go-to batteries for mass-market vehicles. So that sort of cemented their position. And finally, the fact that most of the raw materials that go into these batteries are all refined in China. China has an extremely dominant position in, in the refining of those materials has also helped. And, and I think China's advantage, particularly in batteries, explains why foreign automakers, which traditionally would produce cars for their domestic markets in, say, Europe and US domestically, when it comes to EVs, they're increasingly producing those EVs in China to be closer to those Chinese battery supply chains and then exporting them to Europe, which is part of the reason why Chinese car exports have, have surged over the past few years. So is that surge already, uh, not, not, not only in electric vehicles, but also in battery exports, is that big enough to move the needle at the aggregate export level? Well, at the moment, it's still small, but it's increasing rapidly. So it's gone from being pretty much uh, nothing or 0% of China's exports a few years ago to being around 4% currently. So at the moment, you know, the, the, the magnitudes are quite small still, but just the speed at which these categories of exports are growing, they could potentially become quite important. And I think that's true, particularly if you think about the fact that we're still quite early in the global transition towards electric vehicles. Globally, the EV adoption rate is around 14%, and it seems to be accelerating. Usually when you, there's a shift to new technologies, it's not a linear transition. There's a tipping point at which it's become more affordable than traditional cars. The infrastructure is there. The social uh, shift has happened, and you get a very rapid adoption curve. And when that happens, China's in, in a strong position to benefit significantly from that, because at the moment... China's global share of EV exports is over 30%, and its share of battery exports is even higher than that. And so if we do see a rapid adoption of these technologies globally over the next few years, then what is now just 4% of China's exports could you know, be a much larger figure in the future. So I wouldn't be surprised if this sort of, you know, we, we see some support to China's export sector on the magnitude of what we've seen in the past from products like 
mobile phones or laptops. So I think this is a pretty big deal in the in the long run. Okay, how, how much of a threat do you think are the the efforts by the U.S. to to exclude Chinese producers from the domestic electric vehicle market? Well, I think the U.S. measures are already having a big impact, and it's evident when you look at where Chinese electric vehicles are being exported. You know, they're being exported to to many different countries, but, but very few are going to the U.S. And that's because the U.S. has already imposed such high barriers. That it, that it often just doesn't make sense to, to export uh, EVs to, to the US. Already, the Trump tariffs imposed an additional 25% tariff rate on, on Chinese cars on top of the prevailing rates. And then on top of that, Chinese-made EVs are not eligible for the EV tax credits as part of the Inflation Reduction Act. Uh, so those two those two things combined have significantly reduced the appeal of Chinese EVs in, in the U.S. Fortunately for China, you know, although the U.S. is quite a large car market, you know, the the, the European market and the rest of the world are, are sufficiently large that that they can still be quite successful even if they don't make major inroads into the U.S. Well, speaking of other export destinations, I've had I had a look at the car registration statistics in Europe, and, and I could hardly see any registrations by Chinese brands. So is it is it mostly Western firms that are doing the exporting from China? And, and what does that mean for the risk of, of protectionist measures in, in other countries being imposed? So that's a good point. Yeah, China's st suddenly started exporting a lot of cars, but actually most of these cars are not Chinese brands at this stage. Around 40% of China's EV exports are actually Tesla's. The next 25% is from SAIC, which is a Chinese state-owned company, but they have a joint venture with Volkswagen and also own a number of other Western brands, including the British brand MG. And so a lot of what they are exporting to China is are actually what is quite considered foreign brands. It's quite hard to work out what the exact percentage is, but it seems likely that over two-thirds of the EVs that, that China is exporting to globally are, are Western brands rather than Chinese brands. That said, I do think Chinese brands could gain market share over time. We've seen that within China, traditionally, the foreign brands were more successful than the domestic players, but that's now changed with the shift towards EVs. It does seem like the Chinese brands have a greater competitive advantage when it comes to EVs than, than, than they did for traditional vehicles. And I think the same might apply to some extent to its exports as well. We've seen BYD, for example, which, which doesn't have any joint ventures with foreign brands, is gaining market share in terms of China's exports. So it's gone from being a pretty negligible share of, share of Chinese EV exports to now around 15%. So you know, I think the risk for, for foreign companies is that the Chinese brands could start to capture market share even in their, even in their home markets. In terms of the implications for the geopolitics, the fact that at the moment most of these exports are Western brands diminishes the, the, the risk that Western automakers will petition governments for protectionist measures to defend their, their domestic markets because they are the ones that, you know, that are primarily benefiting from the, the, the current wave of exports. Obviously, that could change if they start to lose market share in their domestic markets. But for now, they're unlikely to lobby for protectionist measures against imports from China. 
However, the lack of corporate lobbying for such measures doesn't mean that they won't happen. We know that governments themselves are quite concerned about the risks of being overly dependent on China for uh, EVs and for green tech, such as batteries. And so even if the, the corporate sector is not lobbying them for greater protectionism, that there might be some impetus directly from governments. And we're already seeing that in some of the legislation that's being put forward in the EU. Having said that, I think it's unlikely that the EU will go nearly as, as far as the US has in terms of restricting access to, to imports of, of EVs and other green technology for, from China. And also the fact that the EU is made up of a diverse set of countries means that each country is likely to interpret the EU regulations differently. And, and so in some respects, it's a question of the, the lowest common denominator, which country in the EU is going to remain the most open to Chinese batteries, to Chinese EVs. We're already seeing that some EU countries are more open than others. Hungary, for example, has been willing to allow significant Chinese FDI into its economy and, and, and CATL, China's largest battery company, is building a, a very large plant in, in Hungary. So I think on the whole, the EU is, you know, there's a risk of some EU restrictions on imports from China, but I don't think they're going to go as far as, as the US has gone. Marcel, I wanted to kind of flip this, the scripts and ask you a few, a few questions. Obviously, the transition towards uh, EVs has implications not, for, not just for China, but for other major auto-producing and auto-exporting countries. And the obvious one in Asia is Japan. And, and I know you've recently put out an in-depth piece looking into the implications of the EV transition for, for Japan's economy. So I want to get your thoughts on that. I mean, first off, to set the scene, one thing that I found striking when I looked into the history of the transition towards EVs was the fact that in the early days, sort of a, more than a decade ago, Japan was actually the the kind of initial leader in terms of EV adoption and EV production. And yet they seem so behind now. What went wrong? Well, it, it's true. It's a good point you make. Actually, Japanese firms hold a large share of the, the patents in, in the EV space. But there, there's a few reasons why they, they haven't followed through on those patents. So the, the first one is that they, the Japanese car makers have built up a technological lead in, in hybrid vehicles. And the... the didn't want to squander that lead. So in Japan, 40% of domestic car registrations are hybrids. And that explains why they were a bit slow to, to, to move to, to fully electric vehicles. Also, the Japanese government, for some reason, has been keen to support fuel cell cars rather than electric vehicles. They, they pay higher subsidies to, to buy as a fuel cell vehicles. But e even so, the, the, the market share of fuel cell vehicles is extremely low. And given that fuel cell vehicles play a, a negligible role elsewhere as well, there's, there's very little chance of, of, of this rivaling electric vehicles anytime soon. And there may also be an element of arrogance in there. That some, some press reports suggest that the, the Japanese car makers thought that EV technology is, is relatively primitive compared to, to complex hybrid engines. And, and they thought they could quickly catch on once uh, EVs reach a certain maturity. But arrogance is always dangerous, and this is a, a clear example. Okay. So I guess their arrogance, as you put it, has 
put them behind. And clearly there's a, a risk with China gaining market share. What do you think the implications are for Japan's auto industry? Do you think China's EV success story is a, is a threat? It's definitely a major threat. I mean, Jap- Japanese car makers are currently far behind, both in terms of actual sales, but also in terms of the targets that they have announced for, for shifting to EVs. And at the moment, there's there's very little evidence of foreign cars or Chinese cars uh, making any inroads into the Japanese domestic markets. The, the, and, and Japanese buyers have traditionally had a very strong preference for domestic cars. But the problem is that Japanese car makers earn about six out of seven yen in, in revenues from overseas. And in in overseas markets, the the shift to electric vehicles is is a clear threat because none of the top 20 electric vehicles sold worldwide over the last year were sold by Japanese manufacturers. And do you think we're already seeing a loss of market share in, in those other countries relative to, to, to the past? Yes. I mean, it's it's... Interestingly, really, we've recently seen quite a bit of a pickup in Japanese car exports. They're now the, the strongest since since about 2018, which we think largely reflects the, the easing of supply shortages. But if you look closer at, at their market shares in overseas car markets, the picture is clearly worrying. So in, in China, they've, they've already lost a large share of their, their market share, I think about 40% or so. And in the US, they're also starting to, to slip back so clearly, the I mean, there could be other factors at play, but I think the the main reason is simply that they're they're lagging in the role of electric vehicles. And how do you think the the Japanese government will respond to these worrying trends? Well, it, it is providing some subsidies for domestic car makers to roll out EVs. It has announced, I think, about two billion for battery production, but this is obviously quite small, and and you you'd probably have to spend very large amounts of money to to rival. What, what the U.S. is spending to to, shield, to support the role of electric vehicles and also what China has spent over, over the last few years in terms of supporting its own electric vehicle industry. So I think it will be difficult for the government to, 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 to help car makers to catch up. I mean, in the worst case scenario where foreign cars, especially Chinese cars, make, make significant inroads into the Japanese car market, the government could roll out protections measures, but that obviously wouldn't help the overseas markets, which are the the key sources of revenue for, for Japanese car makers. I guess one factor that could potentially work in Japan's favor for those overseas markets is that in many developed economies, there's a concern about being too reliant on China, and particularly in the US, given how stringent some of the, the the rules are in terms of accessing these Inflation Reduction Act tax credits. I wonder whether that you know potentially offers any opportunities for either for Japan Japanese automakers or at least for Japanese battery producers. What do you think? Yes, I mean certainly excluding Chinese producers at the margin helps Japanese producers, but I think even that doesn't guarantee success. I mean there, there's no major battery producers uh, from the US, but the, the, second, the world's second largest EV battery producer is, is Korean. And the Koreans actually have a, a far higher market share globally in, in, in EV battery production. So it's not clear that, that Japan would win even in the US where, where Chinese producers are increasingly marginalized. And the, the other point is that, I mean, so far, the US is still the, the largest market overseas for, for Japanese car makers. 
but the Chinese car market is is now double the size of the, of the U.S. car market. So it, even if they they maintain some market share in in the U.S., losing out in in China is quite a, a big headwind for for Japanese car makers. So I think even with these protectionist efforts, the car makers will struggle over the next few years. That was Julian Evans Pritchard and Marcel Tiliant on the rise of China's EV industry and what it means for Japan's automakers. Marcel has an in-depth report on Japan's EV crisis and I'll link to it and our recent analysis on how Europe could counter the influx of Chinese cars on the podcast page. We'll have a lot more on EVs in the coming months and also look out for our work on the impact of global economic fracturing, which very much dovetails with this issue of state support for emerging industries like these. I'll link to that work on the podcast page too. Neil and I will be back as usual next week. Undoubtedly, we'll be catching up on the latest on the inflation central bank issue. There'll be much more to be talking about. Besides, you can find all our research on our website, capitaleconomics.com. And for the full meal, check out CE Advance. That's our premium platform. But until next time, goodbye. Whilst this podcast is provided with all reasonable skill and care, it comprises the subjective views of our economists. Furthermore, these views are not opinions, nor do they constitute investment or financial advice, or are they guarantees or reassurances to the expected results of any investment products or outcome. You should seek your own specific advice in relation to questions you may have. We will have no liability to you in relation to this podcast whatsoever.